0: What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Thursday, February the 8th edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show... Who is Miami's most important player outside of the quarterback in 2018? I will reveal my pick for that position and talk a little bit about his 2017 film. Also, we revisit an article I retweeted today from Adam Gaze back when he was first hired in 2016, and we wrap up Rivalry Week by talking to Lockdown Patriots host Mark Schofield and ask him if the end is in fact near in New England. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Follow me on Twitter at Linkfield NFL and follow the show at Locked on Fins. Check out Lockedondolphins.com and check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, including Locked On Heat Podcast and Locked On NFL Podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And let's go ahead and break the huddle and get to first down. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is first down here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and the first topic we're talking about tonight. Is something that I, I named the most important player for 2018 outside of the quarterback, but I don't think that's the right distinction for this particular award or particular pick that I have for you guys. And what I'm kind of trying to do is pick the guy that is going to have the most, the biggest impact on the team's overall record. And What I mean by that is a guy that if his performance is great, it's going to have the most significant, positive impact. And if he doesn't play well, it's going to bring the team down more than anybody else. And so... I have four players listed for that particular distinction, and they are Charles Harris, Zavian Howard, Kenyon Drake, and Laramie Tunzel. And the reason for each of those is Charles Harris. I've talked about it before. The defensive end position is very thin, and it's very volatile going into 2018. If Cam Wake gets hurt, or you know, we have Andre Branch and William Hayes, I guess could sign back here, but there's just not a lot of depth there. It's not a lot of, of top-level talent at the position either. So Charles Harris, very important for that position. Zavian Howard, kind of the same thing. The cornerback position is... Cornerback position is deep and it has some good players in it, but it really needs that number one guy like Xavier Howard to go ahead and step forward and become that guy that we hope he can be and be the guy that he was for those two games against Denver, as well as New England late in the season. Kenyon Drake, I mean, he's without him, the backfield is really, really thin and and not that good just overall. to begin with, so if he gets hurt or if he, Drops completely off the face of the earth. That would be big for the Dolphins backfield. And then I put Laramie Tunzel just because the Dolphins right now, the offensive line doesn't really have a lot of guys that you can count on. And Tunzel was, was disappointing in 2017. So we need him to step it back up and become the player that we drafted him to be the guy that was supposed to be the first pick in the draft that year until all the trades and the bong mask and everything that happened with him. So, Charles Harris, Xavier Howard, Kenyon Drake, Laramie Tunzel. My pick is Charles Harris, and you guys probably knew that coming into this. I was tweeting out about him the other day, about some of his film, and I'm, I'm going to get more into that. I'm going to put a piece on LockedOnDolphins.com, examining his film, the pressures, the ability to play the run, playing inside and outside, and that's kind of just what I looked at on the tape, and the things that really jump out to you are his speed and his get-off, kind of like Cam Wake. He gets down in that four-point stance, and he fires off the ball really, really well. He plays the run better than you would expect him to, or better than you thought he was going to this year. He does a good job of setting the edge and kind of having a, a savvy presence in terms of where he is in the field and what the play in front of him looks like. He uses his hands pretty well, and he like I said, he plays inside more than you think he would because early in the year he was kind of playing that inside nickel rusher on the field. And they brought out the NASCAR package with Cam Wake and, and Sue Andre Branch, and Charles Harris. And like I said, he's savvy. He's quick to correct mistakes. He can recognize draws and screens without losing that speed. That's really something you you value in a pass rusher and a defensive end, especially a young player, a guy that can play smart but still play fast because those two things are very hard to do together but things he has to get better at using his length and bending that edge he's a very long player long arms good ankle bend all that stuff you'd like in a defensive end but he just hasn't really quite figured out how to use it and developing those counter moves too the ability to, to hit hit up field and cut back inside that that spin move is his go-to move but besides that a speed rush and a bull rush he doesn't really have a whole lot in the arsenal I mean I know that those are three different rushes but he doesn't really he hasn't really refined the other two outside of that spin move. So I'd like to see him get better at either his speed rush or his bull rush or be able to counteract moves that he sees against left tackle. So Charles Harris, he just is so important to this team in 2018. I'm not sure that the Dolphins are going to find a good defensive end in free agency. There's not not a lot out there that the Dolphins can afford. And then in the draft at pick 11, you know, unless Marcus Davenport falls down to that spot and he's more of a, I guess, a project type of player there as well. You're really looking at a position that needs Charles Harris to step up and be a big time player. Topic number two for the day is talking about an article that was published back in June of 2016 by Pete Prisco on cbssports.com and it was about Adam Gaze and kind of what he has had been doing to that point as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. It was basically talking about how Adam Gaze just pounds monsters and watches film all day. And that's kind of why I love the guy. And more specifically, they're talking about Ryan Tannehill and what he thought out of Ryan Tannehill. And I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from the column written by Prisco. And one of the things he talked to, and this is a quote from Gaze, he said, he's smart as expletive now. Gaze said he highlighted Tannehill making a right read. We got screwed up on the pressure on this one, but he will stand in there. Watch this. Here he is screwing around with the defensive line on cadence. He keeps getting them jump. They move the ball up five yards and it pisses off the defensive line. Gaze pauses on another play rolls as another play rolls on, and this is where he has to get better, Gaze says. If he sent the line to the left, we could have had a big play. He had them to the right the whole way. The only threat here he had off the edge was a slot corner to Tannehill's left, and he didn't send that protection that way. Those are the small things that we were working on to get better. Another quote here, he's smart, he's athletic, and he has the ability to make all the throws, Gaze says. It's not as if he has been unproductive. Look at his numbers, they are good numbers. Now it's just a matter of translating those numbers into wins for his team. Gaze said he hasn't had to make sweeping changes with Tannehill the passer just little things quote the way he set up mechanically is good Gay said I don't want to mess with that this is ending the quote it is a challenge f- that Tannehill is learning his third system in four years. Gaze's system more closely resembles the system Tannehill ran as a rookie with the Dolphins under Mike, Sherbin, Mike Sherman, and is a lot different than what he ran the previous two years under under Bill Lazor, that Chip Kelly-style offense. Quote, I think what we do is suited well for his game, Gaze said, but it's a challenge. How many quarterbacks can you say change offenses and had a great year the next year? It's tough changing everything. The terminology is different. The play caller is different. So just kind of going off of that column, what Gaze says, and kind of what he sees in Tannehill is... He can identify those strengths and play to those strengths and minimize the weaknesses. That's something we've all talked about. I've talked about a lot on the podcast. And just going back and kind of seeing where Tannehill improved his game in terms of pocket presence, the ability to fill the rush, get out of those bad plays and get into good plays and be a playmaker. That's something we saw in 2016. And the comment about having an offense kind of take its hold late in the season, that really resonates with me because you have a player that he struggled through the first five games. The whole team struggled. They're one and four. And then they go seven and one. Tannehill is the sixth highest rated passer in the NFL at that point. He's got a good yards per pass average, a good touchdown percentage, a very low interception percentage, great third down conversion rate. He's playing like a pro bowl close to all pro level quarterback. And that's something that you haven't seen from Ryan Tannehill in the past and not for that many games anyway. So that's why I was so encouraged about Ryan Tannehill going out of 2016 into 2017 before the freaking knee injury happened is he was playing his best ball under the best coach he's ever had in system. that was starting to kind of take hold for him. So twenty eighteen, give him that system, give him the play caller, give him the coach, give him the system, give him the growth. Everything will be just fine. So Tannehill in twenty eighteen cannot wait. You guys already know that. Let's go ahead and get on to the next segment here with the guest Mark Schofield, the Lockdown Patriots Podcast. Joining us here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And I am joined now by Mark Schofield of the Lockdown Patriots Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how's it going, bud?
1: It is going well, my friend. It is going well, Travis. It's been a um It's been a tough couple of days, not going to lie. Tough couple of days, but the sun comes up the kids are up and uh we're going to roll. We're going to get through it, right?
0: I'm glad I just got you do for today because the Josh McDaniels thing is just kind of it works out perfectly in terms of how I had you it come talks. on here to talk about that stuff. So I'm really glad we got you on for this. Obviously like you know you're saying there it's a, it's a tough week the Patriots just lost a Super Bowl for the third time in the last what is it 15 20 years now. I'm losing track. Mark, you guys are there about every year it seems like. So I, I kind of lose track. But let's go ahead and just jump right into it and start with the idea of the future cuz that's what every Dolphins fan wants to know. When the heck is this thing going to end? So let's start with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, and the potential for a coach in waiting type of situation. What's going on there? Is that something that's going to happen? Is it going to happen sooner rather than later? Just give me your thoughts on all of that if you can.
1: You know, that's sort of the million, well, one of a couple million dollar questions right now facing the New England Patriots, and I, I will say that When it was announced last night, when it sort of broke on Twitter, you know, we're doing this on, you know, Wednesday night. So Tuesday night, it comes out that McDaniels is staying. He's not going to Indianapolis. I reach out to every Patriots contact, beat reporter, everybody under the sun with what, you know, what's going on. And the initial stuff that I got back from, you know, beat reporter types was that this has to be Belichick related, right? Like that was pretty much the initial thought was, is Belichick leaving now or soon? And especially when you see photos of Belichick at a sit-down dinner with Robert Kraft on Tuesday night, just the two of them at a restaurant by Gillette Stadium, it, it, you get the sense that, you know, there is a transition plan now sort of being put into place. Especially when you read it now that. You know, Belichick told McDaniels he's going to take him under his wing. He's going to teach him everything he knows. He's going to show him sort of the way. That's your, like, mentor-mentee type relationship. So it really does seem, Travis, like they are setting up the transition plan at the head coaching spot. Now, whether that's for a year from now, two years from now, sort of remains to be seen. And I even saw somebody say on Twitter, I forget who it was, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, it would have, they want to put it past Belichick to say, oh, yeah, Josh, I'll take you under my win and I'll teach you the ropes show you everything and you can take over, and then Belichick stays for another 10 years because that's the kind of <laughs> maniac that he is. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it seems like two transitions are being worked out right now with the New England Patriots. The first one is the head coach, in one of them it does seem like if everything is to be believed, they're paving the road for Josh McDaniels to take over. And the other transition which we're going to get to is life after Tom Brady and figuring out who is going to be the guy to step into the huddle when number 12 leaves it. So there are two transition plots being, you know, mapped out right now in New England. It seems like we got a good sense of one and we'll get a better sense of the other as we get closer into the draft, I think.
0: And, you know, I'll talk to you about that here in a second, but just kind of going back to the Belichick and McDaniels kind of, you know, coaching, waiting, handing it off, preparing you for the future type of thing. I just find it so interesting that that's the case after watching that two bills documentary, the 30 for 30 and seeing the way it almost, it almost kind of seems like it could fold or it could shake out the exact same way it did with Bill Parcells back in those days.
1: I mean, it, it could. And, you know, these sort of coaching, waiting type situations, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. You know, sometimes the next the guy next in line starts to get a little impatient. Sometimes the guy that's currently got the job starts to think, "Why am I really like shuffling myself out the door? Like I still want to do this." And so there's always going to be a sort of inherent tension in that. Now, th- maybe there's other stuff going on with Belichick in the sense that he, he realizes that it's time and he does want to get out. Maybe he's come to the conclusion that look, how much do I really have to prove? I mean, I've proven, I think, a lot in the game of football. I think I'm on the sort of Mount Rushmore of head coaches now. What else do I really have to prove? I mean, it would've, I would not put a pass ballot check to say I'm i am done at the end of next year and I'm going to go coach our alma mater. He and I went to the same college at Wesleyan University. I'm just going to go coach a D3 school for the next couple of years because I can go do that because what else do I have to prove in the NFL? So who knows? But I, I do think that... You know, what What we've seen here is they've laid out the roadmap and whether it goes down the – you know, you could see two sort of forks in this road, you know, a fork in this road. It could go down the good path where Belichick stays another year or two, teaches McDaniels everything he knows, and there's a smooth sort of transition of power. Or it could go down the other road with one or both of them sort of, you know – turn on each other, and it becomes sort of a testy, contentious type, almost divorce situation like we saw with the two Bills.
0: And you can imagine as a Dolphins fan, you know, I'm 30 years old, Mark. My entire existence as a Dolphins fan has basically been a losing organization, and that comes from a team that when – before Ricky Williams retired, they were one of the winningest organizations in sports history across right. the four major sports. And so we are so sick of you guys just burying us in the basement every single year. So you can understand that from our standpoint, we would love to see that messy divorce because it feels like Bill Belichick has the ability and just kind of, whether it's a consultant role, whether it's just setting him up as he's in-house still, he seems like he he's the kind of guy that has the ability to go ahead and lay out a roadmap, like you said, for success for years and years to come. And if that's the case, I just don't know if I can do it anymore, man.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably, you know, 46 states that on the whole agree with your point of view. You know, I mean, we all saw the sort of map before Super Bowl 52, like the state by state breakdown of who people were rooting for in the Super Bowl. And it was obviously Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut. No, not even Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts and North Dakota were the only states that were actually rooting for the Patriots because everybody else is just tired of them. And I get it. Believe me. And I'm sure that people would love to see sort of the demise of the Patriots, sort of similar to like the fall of Rome. And we are getting close to that. I know we're going to talk a little bit later about if we're nearing the end and maybe this is the time to do it because, you know, the end is coming. The window is closing. And a lot of that window has to do with number 12 because as long as he's in the lineup, as long as he's in the huddle, as long as he's in the pocket, they've got a shot. We saw that on Sunday night. You know, guy throws for over 500 yards and three touchdowns. (laughs) Ridiculous. Against one of the best defenses in the league on a night when his defense couldn't stop anybody. And with two minutes and 16 seconds left, they've got the ball and they just need a touchdown. And and did anybody have a doubt in their mind that Tom Brady was going to go down the field and score that moment? Of course not. I mean, it it, it took Brandon Graham doing what I was afraid he was going to do, kicking inside and working against a guard. Can't believe that, you know, one of those moments where you're like, oh, great, I called it. Yay. But that's exactly what happened. They kick Graham inside. He beats Shaq Mason. They fumble and they lose. But up until that moment, everybody thought that number 12 was going to pull it out again. So as long as they have him, they've got a shot. But until that day comes where he walks away or the day comes where that cliff actually happens, you know, they've got a shot. But when that day comes, then things change.
0: And you know, I like to call him the narrative destroyer because people want to generate all these things, all these ideas and thoughts of how they can – plan out the decline of Tom Brady and the fall of the Patriots, the fall of Rome, as you mentioned, and like you said, it just seems like he always kicks it up a notch when that narrative begins to start because at the last couple of years it was, well, you know, Brady has kind of faded off in December, he maybe wasn't as sharp in the playoffs like that Houston Texans game last year, wasn't his best game, you know, of his career, whatever you want to say, and then he comes out, like you said, 500 yards, three touchdown passes in the Super Bowl, so it's just insane what he's been able to do, and let's talk about Tom Brady a little bit more. And I mean, I know this is just absolutely guessing on your end, but how much longer is he going to do it? Does Bill Belichick potentially leaving have any impact on his decision, on his decision, I should say? And of course, being the quarterback guy that you are, what is the Patriots contingency plan there at quarterback? And will they draft a quarterback this year pretty highly?
1: Well, let's sort of work backwards through that series of questions here. And, you know, since they drafted Tom Brady, 16 drafts, Eight quarterbacks have been drafted. They basically drafted a quarterback every other year because Belichick, and he said this when they drafted Jim Garoppolo, you have to be a year early when it comes to replacing your quarterback. You can't be a year late. You can't wait until the guy either suffers an injury or declines and then replace him when it's a need. You have to do it when it's sort of a bonus, when the guy is playing well. But you get your next guy in-house now because if something happens, you can – Lose a season. Look at the Dallas Cowboys a couple of years ago. They have Tony Romo. He goes down. They've got a patchwork group of Brandon Whedon and Kellen Moore and a bunch of nobodies back there. Then they sort of luck into Dak Prescott. But they lost a season for a potentially playoff team because it didn't have a plan B. Belichick takes the opposite approach. It's why he drafted Garoppolo. It's why he's taken eight quarterbacks in the 16 drafts since Brady. So they're going to draft the next guy in this draft class, I believe. There are some free agents they might kick the tires on, like a Teddy Bridgewater if he leaves, maybe an A.J. McCarron. But no, they're going to be in on a quarterback, and they'll probably be in on a quarterback early. They've got pick 31. They've got the 49ers pick in the second, which is the 11th pick in the second round. So they've got some stuff if they want to move up a little bit and get somebody. There will be guys that fall. A Lamar Jackson could fall. You know, Mason Rudolph might be there with that pick in the second round, so they could do that. They could package those picks and move up if somebody else falls, like a Josh Allen. But they'll be in on a quarterback, and it will probably be very early because they want to get the next guy. Now, when that next guy takes over is a different question because Tom Brady has said that he wants to play until he's 45. He wants two more Super Bowl runs. Those are sort of the benchmarks that, that he's using. And I think he could play for another two to three years at a fairly high level. The issue being is once you get north of 35, when the fall hits, it happens fast. Look at Favre. Look at Manning. Now, you know, Favre particularly – I mean, Manning particularly had injuries and stuff. But the decline was rapid. And when the decline comes for Brady, it's not going to be this slow sort of long drag, I don't think. Now, the one caveat to that is if anybody's going to sort of, like you say, bust the narrative on the decline of quarterbacks at the age of 40, it will be Brady he would be the one to sort of, you know, take Father Time the distance. He won't beat him, but it might be like Rocky One where he takes Father Time the distance to a decision and nobody's ever done it before and Brady will be the first.
0: And I appreciate you not throwing Dan Marino into that uh, mix of quarterbacks yeah. that fell off no, the faces. Of- <laughs> you didn't want to do that. Didn't want to do that to you. He is playing to his crack on Locked On Dolphins podcast. This is a Locked On Dolphins podcast and a Locked On Patriots podcast. Mark Schofield at Mark Schofield on Twitter and Mark. I'm also glad you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater because you were my third guest from the AFC East this week, and both of them mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. And my guest on the for the Dolphins a couple weeks ago, uh, Chris Kaufman, mentioned Teddy Bridgewater as a potential quarterback that Adam Gates could kind of find and groom under his own system too. So that guy is being yeah. touted out to almost every team. It seems. Like. So, yeah, it's, it'll be inter- interesting to see. we got some more questions for Mark in the Locked On Dolphins podcast. At Mark Schofield on Twitter, this is the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Back here with Mark Schofield talking about the New England Patriots 2018 offseason, what they have ahead of them. And, Mark, the question everybody wants to know, every other AFC East fan and every other NFL fan, like you mentioned, across the country pretty much, wants to know, is there a feeling among, pa- among Patriots fans or among the team itself that the end might be near?
1: You know, I, I think for the team and, you know, I, I don't want to sort of step into the minds of, of the guys on the team. I don't for the team. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think when you've won a Super Bowl fifty one, you almost win Super Bowl fifty two. Like I, I think that the feeling and the sentiment on the team is no. They're built to compete every year, especially when they've got Tom Brady, especially when they've got Bill Belichick. Now, there might be some stuff behind the scenes, like with the Malcolm Butler situation and other stuff that's played out over the past 72 hours or so that might sort of cause some fractures in the locker room. But I think, generally speaking, the team's – no, there's no end in sight. Now, for Patriots fans, though, Travis, I think that's a completely different question and one that I can answer in a completely different way because if you think back to when Seth Wickersham, the ESPN story came out, And it sort of broke on Thursday night before it was released on a Friday morning, you know, that there was going to be a story about Brady and Belichick and Kraft and the egos and all this stuff. The response from New England and New England fans in particular on social media, on Twitter and elsewhere, was pretty vocal and pretty loud and pretty almost, uh, it was very forceful, let's put it that way. And Boston fans, Patriots fans, New England fans, you know, we tend to, you know, be very defensive and protect our own and we will sort of lash out. We can be overly sensitive at times. Believe me, I'm guilty as charged on that at times. But I think the reason why there was that sort of response was because in the back of all of our minds, it was sort of the first indicator that maybe there is an end in sight. You know, maybe one of these three guys that we've put our trust in over the past sixteen years or so Bill build retrust, like the mantra goes. Yep. Maybe they will walk away. Maybe they will hand them up. Maybe yep. this could be the last run. And so I think when you saw that sort of response, it was like the collective mindset, mind hive of all of Patriots fans being like, oh no, this can't be happening. This could be the end. We can't we, this this story has to be wrong because we don't want to believe that there's a kernel of truth to that because it could mean that the end is near.
0: Yeah, and it's it's going to be, you know, a rude awakening, I guess, for a fan base that has had so much success and so much, you yeah. know, every year you guys are right there. Yeah. I, I, you and, know- and, and,
1: you know, I've told other people on shows, radio shows, whatever, that, you know, when the end comes, whether it's, you know, Brady retiring, Belichick retiring, the two of them walking off into the sunset together, Patriots fans will be wandering the desert of NFL <laughs> fandom for the next 15 years or so. And in a way, it's deserved in some sense because – to have the success like the Patriots have had over the past 16 years or so in sort of the salary cap era of parity, it's ridiculous. You know, it's just flat out ridiculous. It really is. You know, it's no team, no fan base should be able to enjoy that kind of run. And let's take it a a step further. In that same sort of period of time, the Red Sox have won three World Series championships. (laughs) You know, the Celtics have won a title. The Bruins have won a title. I mean, Boston fans are Right now. And a lot of it comes from the New England Patriots. And so, you know, that day will come when we're all wandering the desert and we're trying to understand why they drafted Josh Allen with the fifth overall pick somehow. And he's (laughs) not panning out, whatever it is, you know, there's going to be a long time in the desert for us. And so that's why we know it's coming. We want to put it off as long as we can.
0: And kind of going off script here before I go rapid fire on your mark, I'm just curious. Like I've I've always wondered this as a as a Dolphins fan that watches the Patriots have all the success every single year. Because like for me this year, you know, I, I lost faith in the season when Tannehill went down. I'm sure you know that based on my Twitter timeline. But when they signed Jay Cutler, I was hopeful for like an eight and eight season. But when they that week two game, it was our first game against the LA Chargers a uh, young way Ku missed a 45 yard field goal for the win. I was ecstatic. I was pumped that we were one and 0 We were right in the, you know, the race already. It was football was on baby. I was ready to roll, but I'm just curious for you guys as Patriots fans. Like does, do you still experience that same excitement in a mundane week eight, you know, mid October game? Like how, what is watching football like for you now that you got, you guys have had all the success?
1: You know, it, it's, it's weird because, you know, and I'll try to answer that question in two ways, because now that I'm like, you know, football writer, media guy, like I try to take the fan hat off as much as I can, sure. um, you know, before that time when I was watching, say, 2013, 2014, you know, you, you still sort of get geared out week to week because, you, you know, you, you do expect the team to have success you do sort of enjoy watching Tom Brady perform at a high level. And as a quarterback guy, an offensive guy, it was always enjoyable to see him, you know, just master of the craft, so to speak. You know, and and even now, you know, as sort of a football media guy, you know, watching the games in regular season, the the fan mode does sort of creep in when you see a call not go your way. You still get worked up over (laughs) this stuff. You know, you can't turn the fan mode off. You're always you always want to see your team have some success and the losses still frustrate you. The loss to the Dolphins on that Monday night game was frustrating, you know, when they lost, you know, this past Super Bowl. I'm still coming to terms with it. I'm still trying to work through why Malcolm Butler saw as many defensive snaps as I did in that (laughs) game. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, so, you know, it it is frustrating at times, but that doesn't take away the fact that they've won how many Super Bowls in the past, you know, 16 years. I mean, we've all been incredibly lucky as Patriots fans to witness this run. And again, it comes back to the, you know, the, the notion of we don't want to see it end.
0: Exactly. And you're never going to see this again in your lifetime with any team, I think, in professional football. It's just, it's absolutely crazy what they've done. So let's go rapid fire here for a couple of questions, Mark. Uh, Real quick, just talk, you know, Rob Gronkowski after the Super Bowl, he had a comment about how he wasn't quite sure about his playing future or his health or whatever it is. So I'm just curious, do you take his, I guess, threat of retirement seriously?
1: Not so much. I, I think that part of it is, and I understand You know, a guy like Orkowski who's had some injury problems, who's been hurt at times, you know, might think about walking away. There's talk now about him being a a movie star. He talked to The Rock and Sylvester Stallone about that. (laughs) He's also underpaid for what he brings to this team. I mean, he's not even the highest paid tight end in the league right now. So I think part of this is contract posture. And he wants to get a little bit of money before he walks away from the game. And so he's probably seeking a new deal, and I don't blame him. They should pay him a little bit more. So I don't take it that seriously. I sort of put this on par with, like, Roethlisberger after the AFC Championship game last year where he was, like, you know, talked about retirement, and you're like, eh, is he really serious? Uh, And this is just a guy in the heat of the moment sort of lashing out a little bit. So I don't take it that seriously. Now, if it gets to be into June and July and there's still this talk, then, yeah, I would.
0: Yeah, that's a great take on that in terms of the contract thing, too. And I think you can point to, you know, that the opening drive of the second half where they just went gronk, 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 yeah. gronk. The Steelers' yeah. game earlier in the year, the game winning drive, did the same thing, yeah. too. So that's a great point. Love hearing that from you. Uh, or I don't love hearing it, but it's, it makes a lot right. of sense. <laughs> uh, also, another question for you here, Mark What are the holes the Patriots have to fill this offseason? We saw the defense kind of struggle in that Super Bowl, and obviously the front seven wasn't, you know, what it has been in the past. What are the main holes the Patriots have to fill this up- upcoming offseason?
1: Well, on the defensive side of the ball, it's interesting because you'd say pass rush, you'd say linebacker. They're going to get Der- Derek Rivers back, who they drafted early in last year's draft, suffered an injury. They like him as an edge defender. They'll get Hightower back. They'll get Shay McClellan back at the linebacker spot, so they'll, you know, be able to make additions there. Well, you'll probably have you know more of Kyle Van Noy in the middle. They used Hightower as sort of an edge rusher, but then that gets you know a Landon Roberts off the field, and McClellan back onto the field, so they'll be able to upgrade from within there. So I think. You know, they'll probably add an edge guy. They'll probably add a defensive lineman at some point in the draft. But they aren't, you know, things they have to really go early on. They'll probably add a safety. They, they like to use three safety looks a lot. Patrick Chun's getting banged up. McCourty and Harmon are getting up there in years, especially McCourty. So they'll probably add some safety depth. And then offensively, I think, it you know, you probably want to add an interior lineman. Um, Joe 30 struggled a little bit at times. I do like him, but there were times he gave him some sacks and pass protection. It depends what they do with Deion Lewis, but they might add a running back there. And I think you do have to look at the tight end position anyway. Because of the Gronk injury history, number one, because they don't really have a guy that panned out behind him, the Bennett thing sort of crashed after one game. Dwayne Allen didn't really pan out. I know they like the Hollister kid, but he's more of a T E3 type. I think in a good tight end class, they probably add a tight end. You know, the Mark Andrews kid from Oklahoma, Mike Giusecki, Dallas Godert, the kid from South Dakota State. There are some good tight ends in this class. Fumagali, the the kid from Wisconsin. So there's some tight ends that they'd look to add to. So those are the spots I'd look at the Patriots. Likely upgrading, and of course, quarterback they got to get the next
0: Tom Brady in this draft class. Yep, and I, I like you said, I agree. I love this tight end class so much, and I think the Dolphins need to have two tight ends themselves too because I yeah. kind of look at the Patriots, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez mold as something that could be really beneficial to the Dolphins, obviously be beneficial to any team, but the way Ryan Tannehill plays, he really has a strength in terms of yep. throwing the tight ends and play action and all that stuff. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, another question here for you, Mark. Uh, you, you know, Josh McDaniels is coming back, but Mike, Matt Patricia is not. So will the defense look different from a scheme standpoint? You talked about three safeties. I love the Patriots' willingness to kind of adapt and go to more defensive backs and really run with that back six or five that you mentioned. So will it look a lot different without Patricia?
1: I don't think so. I mean, obviously, it depends on what they end up doing in terms of a defensive coordinator. I think it's going to be Brian Flores, their current linebackers coach, who got a head coach and interview with the Cardinals, but that's usually been the promotional track for the Patriots. You go linebackers coach to defensive coordinator. That's what they've done in the past. And I think it'll be Flores. I think you'd see a lot of similarity from a schematic perspective. You know, New England, up until the Super Bowl, did a really good job this year sort of scheming to their opponent. I mean, one of their biggest plays of the season, a third and four against the Steelers late in that game when they needed to get the ball back, they went with four linemen and seven defensive backs on a third and four because they were like, "You'll we'll let you run it, but we're going to take away the pass. They threw a cross to Juju Smith-Schuster. They tackle him for a two-yard gain, get the ball back. If they could have gotten one of those plays, just one play like that in the Super Bowl, they might have changed the course of that game, but they didn't. But... I think under Flores, if that's who it ends up being, and I think it will, schematically, they're gonna do the same stuff. They're they'll, you know, give you multiple looks, you know, a lot of cover one stuff. They like to do cover one stuff, although they did a lot of cover two in the Super Bowl They'll do that at times as well, but it'll it'll be pretty similar schematically.
0: Yeah, as long as Belichick's there, you have to forget about that defense. All right, Mark, real quick, last one before we get you out of here. Uh, I I tell the listeners this every episode this week, the PFF, Pro Football Weekly Magazine, used to have a a preseason prediction before the internet became a big thing. I read it every single year, and they had a best-case scenario, worst-case scenario for every team in the league, and I loved reading it. So give me your 2018 best-case scenario, which I think we all know what that probably is, and your 2018 worst-case scenario for the New England Patriots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think best-case scenario you'd have to say would be winning the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl 53. And I I think that that's sort of the set of expectations that the Patriots enter each season with, is you're going to get to the Super Bowl and you're going to win it. Now, in terms of a worst-case scenario, worst-case scenario would likely be, you know, they wait on a quarterback. They decide, we're going to wait, we're going to go, you know, day three maybe, Kyle Letta, Mike White, guys that I like but might need a little bit more time to get ready. And you suffer the Brady injury. And the team just sort of can't recover, whether it's, you know, a season ender or just a couple of games or whatever. And they ended up, you know, in, in a situation where they don't even make the playoffs as a result, because as long as Brady's healthy, they've got a chance to, you know, win the division, get to the AFC championship game and get to the Super Bowl. But if they lose Brady for any sort of extended period, I'm not sure that Brian Hoyer or any sort of rookie that they bring in are going to be able to get them close to the sort of offensive output that they get when number 12 is in the lineup.
0: He is Mark Schofield, the Lockdown On Patriots podcast. Also inside the pylon, great stuff there you put out, Mark. Really appreciate coming on the show tonight. You can follow him at Mark Schofield on Twitter. And uh, Mark, like I said, really appreciate it, man.
1: You got it, Travis, anytime. Love the stuff that you're doing. Keep it up, buddy. Thank you, Mark.
0: And that will do it for tonight's episode of Locked On Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. And check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at LinkfulNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out the Locked On NFL Twitter as well as Facebook page. And last but not least, check out the LockedOnDolphins.com page for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.